As you can see, uh, the title of the message today is Everything But One Thing. This is the story of the rich young ruler who uh, in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus said to him, you have everything but one thing. He said, one thing uh, you lack. And so we're going to look at that story today. I invite you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to first look at the very first verse. We're going to, it's just a very short story. Verses 17 through 22. That's only the verses that we're going to look at today. And that first verse, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, Mark tells us, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, Good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. So that's where this story begins, and it begins as a picture of desperation. And you can sense it just by reading that sentence because no, nobody in this story is sick. Nobody's dying. Here's a young man who had everything he needed as we uh, know him from Scripture, but there is this unsettling desperation in his life. Some hunger some longing that prompted him to run and kneel, and, and of all people, to kneel at the feet of Jesus. So it may be here today, uh, somebody is desperate. Not desperate for health or desperate for wealth, but maybe desperately looking for a way to fill uh, the emptiness of soul, a barrenness of heart, a purposeness, purposelessness of life, because you feel that you have everything but one thing. Most of us here have something in common with this man. Some of us can uh, relate to his riches. Maybe you have everything that money can buy. If you want a car, then you can go out and buy it. If you want a house, you can buy it. Money is not an issue with you. I've run into some people like that. They're few and far between, but I've had people tell me, I've got more money than I've got time. This young man fell into that category. So maybe you can relate to him from the standpoint of money. You've got all that you need. Or maybe you can relate to his youth. So here he is on the front end of life, just getting started. His whole life was ahead of him. To invest or to waste. And so you're that young person here today pondering your future and what Jesus might tell you if you were having a conversation with him. And there then there are countless scores of other people on, on every, in every area of life who can relate to this emptiness that he had because money can't buy inner peace. And so there are people today who feel a lostness and a purposelessness to their life, although they might have a car and a house and a job and all they need. They have everything but one thing. So I'm going to make some very simple observations about this story today. Observations that you could make yourself. You don't need a preacher to point these things out to you. But I want to just show them to you. I think they will help us as we discuss this story. And there's something interesting in this story that I never really thought about that I want you to see today. First, he came to the right place. Uh, there was absolutely no hesitation on his part about coming to Jesus. He came running. Uh, he came with an urgency displayed by the way he came. The Bible tells us uh, that he was a man who had great possessions. Uh, he had a notable position. As I already told you, this is the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, maybe he was a politician. Maybe he was a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer or a businessman or even a religious professional. So he was one of those people 
in town that when you see him, you might go out of your way to speak to him. He was the kind of person that other people sought out for his influence, for his help. And, and so they knelt before him with requests for him to meet their need. He was a man who, in the eyes of others, seemed to have it all. Yet this man who was very rich came and fell at the feet of Jesus. And he came to the right place because he sensed there was something about Jesus. He sensed a goodness in Jesus. He called him good teacher. And as you see in this story, uh, Jesus gave quite a curious response uh, and it may be one of the keys to the story. Let me paraphrase what Jesus said there in verse 18. That's the next verse we're going to look at, verse 18. He said, you called me good. Why did you do that? I know you know that there is no one who is good but God. That's a fact. There is no one who is good but God. And so what, what is it that Jesus was saying? Was Jesus saying, I'm not good. Why do you come to me? Or was he saying that no one is good but God and if you call me good then you sense something very important about me. So in coming to Jesus, he came to the right place. He came to the right person. He sensed a goodness about Jesus, something about Jesus that made him feel that Jesus could meet and fill the gnawing emptiness that was in his heart. So why did you come to church today? Did you come because you sense there's something special about Jesus? Did you come looking for answers to your questions or to fill the emptiness of your soul? So if you came to church looking for Jesus, then you came to the right place because Jesus is still the right person. The second observation I want to make about this individual is he came at the right time. I told you they were very simple. How do we know it was the right time? Well, it's always the right time to come to Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that the best time of all to come to Jesus is right now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. There is never a wrong time to take a step toward Jesus. So this young man came to Jesus at the right time. Down through uh, the years of my ministry, I've, I've come to countless people who said, well, I'll come when the time is right. Well, uh, I say that I say that he came at the right time because he came as a young man. He would have been able to give God the best years of his life. Uh, but from this story, uh, we know that he didn't because there was something that stood between him and Jesus. Some of you here have an opportunity to give Jesus your youth, your energy, your enthusiasm. You can give God the best years of your life. Because, and, and God wants the first fruits of our lives and not the leftovers. Don't let anything stand between you and Jesus. For the last 33 years, I've been telling the story of a young man from right here in George County. His name was Ben. If I told you his last name, some of you would remember him. I met him one night at a hangout down in the southern part of the county. Ben had been drinking that night. He was only 19. And we talked about Jesus, and he knew he wasn't living right. He knew he needed to come to Jesus. And so Ben said to me, before we parted company that night, he said, when the right time comes, I will come to Jesus. And two weeks later, almost to the day, Ben died. He was killed in a car accident at the young age of 19, in the prime of life, and without Jesus. 
Some of you may be like Ben, only you're not 19. You're 39 or 49 or 59, and your plans are to give God the leftovers of your life after you've gone where you wanted to go and done what you want to do. You, know, you need to know that you, you need to come to Jesus right now. Don't let anything stand between you and Jesus. Maybe, maybe uh, something stands between you and Him that is like sin. You have some sin in your life. That is true with many people. They don't come to Jesus because sin is attractive to them. Sin is more attractive than anything that Jesus could do for them. And so uh, maybe it's some goal to which you're striving, some purpose that you have in your life that is a higher purpose to you than coming to Jesus. You might be like many others who said, when the right time comes, I will know it. And whenever anybody says that, that is just proof that the devil has them so blind that they wouldn't know the right time if they saw it. Because the Bible says that it is always the right time to come to Jesus. And the best of all times is right now. So the young man came uh, to the right place. He came to Jesus. Second, he came at the right time. And third, another very simple observation, he asked the right question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, the answer to that question is incredibly simple. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Hey, the young man was a Jew. He had a religious upbringing. He knew the commandments. Interesting that Jesus knew that he knew them. And so Jesus simply summarized the last six commandments. He said, you know the commandments. This is in uh, verses uh, 19 and following. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And then the young man said, Teacher, I've kept all these since I was a boy. If that was the measure, simply keeping the commandments, then this young man felt like he aced it. He said, I've kept them all. Well, <clears throat> first, let me show you one of the most important parts of this story before we go any further. It's down in verse 21. And the Bible says there, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him just like he was. He loved him in his emptiness. He loved him in his brokenness. He loved him knowing that when the conversation was over, he would turn and walk away. I, I tell you that to remind you and to remind myself. That whatever attitude you might hold towards the Lord Jesus Christ in this moment, He loves you. If you are empty, He loves you. If you are guilty, He loves you. If you are hurting, He loves you. If you hate Him and all that He stands for, He loves you. Jesus loved that young man knowing that He was about to come face to face with His own failure, face to face with His own lostness, and face to face with the one reason He could not inherit eternal life. Now I told you Jesus summarized the last six of the commandments. And the young man felt that he passed that test with flying colors. And then Jesus gave him another test. He gave him a test on the very first commandment. What is that first commandment? Well, it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, if you'd like to look it up. It simply says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Every good Jew knew that, that verse. That was the first commandment. They might not could list all ten of them. I feel like they could list them all. But they certainly knew that one. Even we know that one. But to the Jew, it was incredibly important. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, how did Jesus raise that first commandment to this young man? You remember earlier when the young man came to Jesus and called him good teacher? Do you remember how, G how Jesus responded? He said, why do you call me good? Because no one is good but God alone. Now, was Jesus saying here that he was not good? Or, as I suggested before, was he saying to this young man, in recognizing that I am good, you are recognizing who I am. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then look at verse 21. You lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. By doing so, you will show that of all the gods you have in your life, which one comes first, and which one is true. Now let's review our observations about this young man. First, he came to the right place. Second, he came at the right time. Uh, third, he asked the right question. And the fourth simple observation I want you to see is that he received the right answer. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you just lack one thing. You have everything but one thing. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. On one occasion, Jesus asked what was the greatest commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he said to that person, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. There's nothing more important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And so the right answer was simply, love me and follow me, put me first in your life. Whatever it is that stands between you and me, whatever it is that keeps you from following me, put it away. If your right hand keeps you from following me, cut it off. If it's your family, walk away. If it's houses or lands, part with them and come and follow me. If it's some sin that hinders you from following me, do away with it because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Follow me. That was the answer that he gave this young man. I think today one of the things we need to get straight is our theology on the matter of the Lordship of Christ in the church. And I'm not talking about people out on the street who are trying to decide who Jesus is. I'm talking about people in the church who need to decide who Jesus is. Would you say that Jesus is good? Would you say that he was good? And if you're saying that he is good, who is he and what place should he hold in your life? One of the most difficult passages of scripture in the New Testament is Luke chapter 14 verse 33. Where Jesus said to his disciples and all would be disciples. 
the exact same thing he said to the rich young ruler. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. That's Luke 14, 33. I have heard that verse explained away more times than I care to remember. I have also, on occasion, tried to explain it away to my own heart. And prior to this, Jesus gives just a little illustration before he says it. He says, there's a king going out to meet another king in a battle. And when he realizes that king has more soldiers than he and more power than he, that that king is greater and that he is the lesser king, the first thing he does is he goes to the greater king and he said, what are the terms of peace? And he makes terms of peace. And then the very next sentence, Jesus says, as the great king, the God of heaven, so then no one of you can be my disciple unless he is willing to give up all his own possession. The terms of peace are dictated by the greater to the lesser. Who is the greater king? You or the Lord Jesus Christ? What does he require of those who follow him? The same thing that he required of this young man. Absolute surrender. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You lack one thing, young man. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Because none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Isn't that interesting? That you can connect what Jesus said to that young man and Luke 14, 33. How does one come to inherit and obtain eternal life? It will cost you all that you have. Absolute surrender to the Lordship of Christ. So what have we observed about this young man so far? He came to the right place. He came to the right, he came at the right time. He asked the right question. He received the right answer, but next, you know what he did. He did the wrong thing. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Put away all that stands between you and me. Get rid of that which keeps you from following me because the most important thing in life is to follow Jesus. How did that young man respond? Mark 10, 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Because he had great possessions. What was he sad about? I'll tell you what I think. I think he was sad because he went back home to his emptiness and barrenness of soul that he came with. He went back to his purposeless life. He went back to serve the gods of silver and gold that cannot save, that cannot comfort, that cannot promise a home in heaven. And he left as he came with everything but one thing, do you realize that there is a desperate emptiness in our culture today? It is on Wall Street. It is on Pennsylvania Avenue. It haunts Times Square. It's, it's at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. It's on Mill Street and Loosedale and Main Street and every back street and every pig trail in George County. It is the need for men and women, boys and girls, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because He is the only one who can fill our emptiness and give us a purpose. And yet sometimes it seems that people walk around 
with everything in the whole wide world. They don't need a thing in the world. They certainly don't need Jesus. You see them on television. You see them in magazines. It reminds me of that poem by Edwin Arlington Robinson called Richard Corey. It's a poem that's haunted me since I first heard it in college. Whenever Richard Corey went downtown, we people on the pavement looked at him. He was a gentleman from soul to crown, clean favored and imperially slim. And he was always quietly arrayed and he was always human when he talked, but still he fluttered pulses when he said good morning and he glittered when he walked. And he was rich, yes, richer than a king and admirably schooled in every grace. In fine, we thought that he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. So on we worked and waited for the light and went without the meat and cursed the bread. And Richard Corey, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet through his head. That same aching emptiness that's covered up by things gnaws at people all over our world, and they're trying to fill it. They have everything but one thing. They have no hope of heaven, no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All they have is this life only. And that day, that young man went away from Jesus with great sorrow in his heart. Now, I know that you realize that one day that all of us will stand before God in judgment. And we're going to, I guess, hear what God has to say about us. I feel like most of us will have some excuse as to why we were what we were or we were not what we should have been. And we will remind God of our religious activities. We'll remind him of the commandments we kept. And on that day, he will remind us of the one we didn't keep and the surrender we didn't make. You lack one thing in recognizing that I am good. You recognize that I am God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. For no one can be my disciple unless he gives up all his own possessions. If the Lord Jesus were to go row by row and seat by seat and look into the eyes of every person here, looking at you, looking at me, he would love us without question and without condition. And yet he might say, you have everything but one thing. Let's pray.